Well, good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. My name is Allie Curry. I'm here with my husband, Adam, my dear friends, Amy and Dirk, and we are so thankful that you have joined us this morning. Whether you're with us live right now or tuning in later today or later this week, welcome. Um, if this is your first time with us online, uh, welcome to you. We're so glad that uh, nothing can keep us from worshiping the Lord. And so something that I am so thankful for is even now, even in these uh, difficult and uncertain times, we can lift up the name of God because he is worthy of our praise. And we can do that together virtually, uh, even now. Um, and so this morning, we just want to sing songs of hope, songs of encouragement, songs that lift up the name of the Lord together. So would you join us as I begin this time of worship with a call to worship from Psalm 34. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's sing. Worship your holy name. 
day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come but still my soul will sing your praise Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. We'll sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. I will worship Your holy. First Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Yes, Lord.
to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own say beautiful savior i'm yours forever jesus christ my Psalm 86, 1 through 10 says, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor 
and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, O Lord. For I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord. For I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. in this place I 
worship you. I worship you, as we know you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. So we sing in faith, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. Worship you, yes, Lord. You are here, turning lives around. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, right now, mending every heart. I worship you. I worship you. To you are, to you are, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. circumstance this morning. Come on. Even when I don't feel it, you work. And even when I don't see it, you working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't feel it, you working. Even when I don't see it, you working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop. Lighting. 
circumstance that comes my way. You are faithful, Lord. You are faithful, Lord. Aren't you thankful that God is promise keeper? He keeps the promises, the covenant that he has made with his people. And for that we are thankful. And for that we worship him. And for that we behold his beauty as the one who is and forever will be. Father, faithful Father. We want to thank you once again for joining us in this worship service via live stream or whenever you are tuning into this video. We want to welcome you here from Wheaton Bible Church. My name is Sergio Villanueva and I serve as a worship pastor here. And we know that we are living times that are out of the ordinary for all of us. But in the midst of these times, we want to make the best of everything and know that God's promises are still true today. While we are going through all this, He is faithful. If you know Him as your Lord and Savior, if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, He is faithful to you. All His promises are yours in Him. We want to encourage you to hold fast to that hope, the living hope that is Jesus Christ. Here in our church, we really believe that God has made us to people that live in community and thrive in communities. That's why part of everything that is happening is so hard because God created us to be together. And in moments like these, when it is wise not to be together and we want to take precautions, we want to let you know that we're following all the guidelines that the government agencies are uh, uh, leading us with and and we want to be wise people and we want to honor God through our wisdom so at this moment we are not advising any of our life groups to meet together uh, nor here at our campus or off campus rather we want to encourage you to use uh, the technology that God has provided to all of us. So you can get together with your life group, with your community groups, uh, either through Zoom or FaceTime or Google Hangouts, but, but use this, all this technology that is at our hands and, and be in touch with people that are part of your community. Reach out to others. Send them texts. Send them prayers. Call one another. We want to be together as a church and walk through this together. Also, for our little ones, we understand that our little ones are going through hard times as well. And we want to give our parents all the resources that we can. So if you go to our Facebook page, Wheaton Bible Facebook page, we have a section for life kids, kids life at home. And, and there you'll find a lot of resources for parents of how to talk to their children, how to navigate through these times with them, how to, you will find um, lessons from Sunday lessons that we teach our kids here. There you'll find that you'll find resources each and every day of the week for parents and for kids. So go to uh, Kids Life at Home on our page in Facebook. Finally, we, we know that uh, these times we need, you need to take care of your own, your family and your loved ones and people next to you, our neighbors. 
But we also want to encourage you to pray freely, consider keep giving to the church. Uh, there's ways that you can keep your donations and your offerings or your tithes. Uh, you can send them uh, via text or online. You will find different ways. We as a church, we're counting on the support of those who are hearing from the Lord that this is a time that they want to support the church as well. Also, you are part of our church and you're in a need. Call us. Call us to our offices. We want to be here for you. We want to walk with you. This is a time to be together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we love that you are a promise keeper. You are light in the darkness. And in moments like this, Lord, we know that you are our living hope. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to overcome sin and death. Thank you that in his resurrection, we know that we have a living hope. It's not a fairy tale. It's, it's, it's a life. It's a hope that we can experience each and every day. So, Lord, we pray for our people from our church, whatever they are, if they're going through uh, hard times or if they're going through moments of anxiety or uncertainty, we pray that your presence will make the difference in each and every life. We pray, Lord, for the, our little ones as they are process everything that we're going through as well. Let the presence of your Holy Spirit be with them. Give wisdom to all of our parents. We pray for those who are living uh, by themselves. We pray, Lord, that your presence will be there. That they will know, Lord, that they will not alone, but that your presence makes all the difference. We pray for all of our elderly community, Lord, that you will sustain them physically, mentally, and spiritually. And we pray, Lord, for those who are going through, through hard times, um, either to lack of a job or an employment in these times. Lord, we believe that for your people, you are God and you are faithful and you sustain those who are yours. We pray for your provision. We pray for your protection. And we thankful for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. We welcome you, Iglesia. We welcome you, Eaton Bible Church. Uh, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at church. And I wanted to start by uh, telling you that we are so grateful that we get to meet together. At least, uh, even though we're not physically together, we get to be together um, thanks to the technology that the Lord has given us. I wanted you to know that uh, we miss you. We miss you greatly. We miss being able to be together. We miss being able to pray together. Uh, we miss being able to worship together and hear from God's word uh, together. On the other hand, though, we are very, very grateful that he has allowed us uh, to spend time together, even if it's um, this way. I also wanted you to know that we have been praying for you, that we care for you, that we're asking God to bless you and be with you in the midst of everything that we're going through. But also, I want, you to, uh, I want you to know that this is a great opportunity for us to be the church outside of the walls of this building. We get to love and serve our neighbors. We get to do things that will reflect that God is good and faithful and powerful. That being said, um, I would like us to read this morning uh, the scripture. 
And as you, uh, if you have been part of this uh, for the last few weeks, you know that we have been doing a series based on the book of Ephesians, a series that we have called True Identity. And basically what we have been trying to do is as to remind the church what truly defines us and to remind the church what truly dictates who we are. Um, and, and part of the reason why we're doing this is because it is so, so easy for us to forget what really, demands, uh, what really defines us and what really dictates who we are. Um, so I want to invite you to read uh, today with me Ephesians chapter 4, the second part of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and we're actually trying to answer one question with this text is, how is it that people change? Uh, because part of our identity is that, that we are a new people, that we have a new nature, a new humanity. And when we uh, live in light of that, that's how we change. So I'm going to invite you to please go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 17 through uh, 32. Uh, now, this is a long section, and I'm going to uh, ask you to please uh, bear with me uh, as I read this uh, section all together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verses 17 all the way to verse 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord... That you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkening their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they are giving themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance, with the, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. But must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we spend this morning together, we pray for the presence of your spirit. Lord, we know that we are physically separated as a church. But we also know, Lord, that we are united as a church in your spirit. Therefore, Lord, I pray that as we gather this morning, or we will gather later on as believers to listen to your word, Lord, I pray that you speak into our hearts, and you tell us and explain 
How is it that people change? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. See, I have this conviction that everyone wants to change. I think that the reason why I could say that everyone wants to change is because uh, we all have this uh, idea, or we have the, the, the picture of the ideal, what the ideal life looks like. For the most part, I would argue that people want to become better people. That a parent wants to become a better parent. That a friend wants to become a better friend. That a worker wants to become a better worker. For the most part, I would say, we all want to change. The problem, though, is that change is not something that you do because you modify your behavior. Change must come from within. And change comes because of our relationship with Jesus. Now, what Paul is doing here, he's going to give us three things that we must keep in mind um, that explain how easy that people change. And he's going to show us here that the only way a believer or a person could change is when we understand and believe three things. Number one, what a life with, without Jesus looks like. We need to understand and believe that. We need to understand and believe what a life in Jesus looks like. And number three, we need to understand and believe how is it that that life is possible, and it is only because of Jesus? With that in mind, then, we want to start with the first point. Uh, we want to explain what a life without Jesus looks like. Now, uh, from verses 17 through 18, Paul here, the writer of this letter, is going to give us a very uh, clear explanation of what a life without Jesus looks like. So, for example, in verse 17, he says that it is a life that, is, that, that lives in the futility of their thinking. And that their understanding is darkened, and that we are separated from the life of God. Now, the reason, the reason why I want you to keep that in mind is because every single one of those words matter. See, the word futility there in the original could also be translated as, as an empty life, a fruitless life. What it means is that it doesn't matter how much you do and how much you conquer. What it means is that, that it doesn't matter how much you have. The reason why life feels empty and fruitless is because we are living for the wrong things. I think that this is a reality for many of us. It might be a, a reality for you. I know that at times this is a reality for me. As someone has said it before, it doesn't matter how much I have, I still have nothing. It doesn't matter how much I feel, I still feel nothing. That's what it means to live a life without Jesus. And Paul argues that this happens because we don't know, we lack understanding of what really matters, and because we live a life separated from God. Paul continues with this conversation, and in verse 19, he adds to the conversation, and he says that a life without Jesus is a life that is, has lost all sensitivity, that is a life that indulges in every kind of impurity, and it's a life that is full of greed. What I think Paul is saying here, that this is a life that is characterized by ignoring the path of self-destruction. He's describing here a life that is not uh, sensitive to the things that destroy you. I think that what the author is doing here is using something uh, similar to what Jesus used before. Jesus used to describe a life without him as a life of a leper. See, leprosy is a, it's a life in which 
um, you lose the, it's a sickness in which you lose sensitivity to the point that even though you hurt yourself, you don't know that you're hurting yourself. I think that what Paul is arguing here is that the very things we love are the very things that hurt us. And the very things we do that are wrong, or maybe not wrong, and I will explain that in a second, are the very things that destroy us. This is also part of the reason why life without Jesus is a life without satisfaction. That's why this is a life in which nothing is enough, and we always need more, and we always want more. This is part of the reason why I think that for all of us, even though we think that one more dollar will do it, even though we think that one more experience will do it, even though we think that one more job or a better job will do it, even though we think that one more relationship or a better relationship will do it, at the end of the day, we, I think that we could, not, we could all agree that nothing is enough. Nothing is satisfying enough. You never, never, ever arrive Paul says here that a life without Jesus looks like this. It feels empty and it's fruitless. And it lacks understanding and it lacks sensitivity. And oftentimes it's a life of self-destruction. It's a life in which we want more and we search for more and we desire more. And yet nothing is ever enough. Is that true for you? I think it's true for me as well. I think that every time, um, oftentimes, I struggle with this just as much as you do. So the question is this. Why do we do that? Why do we struggle with this? Why is it that people, even though we have an understanding of what the ideal is, why is it that we pursue things like this? I think that in the same text, Paul offers two answers, actually. The first one. Uh, here, he explains that the tendency of the human heart, the reason why we go through this is because the tendency of the human heart is to look for a meaningful life in things created rather than in the creator. That's what he says in verse 22 when he says that a life without Jesus is a life that is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, the word desires there is important, and if you have been part of a church for a while, you have heard this before, but uh, the word desires here is not necessarily uh, 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 desiring wrong things. It's when we want good things way too much, to the point that even the good things that God gives us become functional saviors, functional gods. And the problem with these desires is that those very things that we pursue and want, at the end of the day, are the very things that control us. And we become slaves to those things. See, what Paul argues here is that the reason why sometimes life feels empty and fruitless and with uh, lack of sensitivity and lack of satisfaction is because we are looking for a meaningful life in all the wrong places. We are looking for a meaningful life in things or people or ideas that cannot give you what you demand and that cannot give you what you want. Once again, a better job will not be enough. A better relationship will not be enough. A better car will not be enough. A better house will not be enough. A better career will not be enough. Even better circumstances, as I think of what we're going through, will not be enough. See, I am not saying that all those things that we want are, are bad. 
I am not saying that those things don't provide a certain level of joy. What I'm arguing, which I think Paul is arguing, is that those things, as good as they are, they're not good enough. They're not powerful enough. They're not secure enough. They're not fulfilling enough. We can never find meaningful life in created things. This is not the way we were designed to be. Those things were not designed to fulfill the desires of our hearts. That's the first reason that Paul gives us why is it that we pursue this kind of life. The second reason why Paul gives us here in this text, and why is it that we struggle with a life that it feels empty and fruitless and, and lacks satisfaction, is because, verse 18, of the hardening of our hearts. This is what that means. That a life without Jesus is characterized by us continually in our hearts rejecting God's truth. By us continually and purposely in our hearts rejecting God's love and rejecting God's compassion. Paul will make the same argument in Romans chapter 1. And he would say that at the end of the day, we are guilty. And the reason why we suffer is because we ourselves are rejecting the very thing that is best for us. That being God and what he wants for us. This is part of the reason why Jesus in one of the Gospels says this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those, uh, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. This is Jesus saying, I wanted to give you life. You didn't, you didn't want it. This is what our life without Jesus looks like. The irony of all of this is that deep down inside, we all want a better life. We all want to change. We all know that everything that Paul's saying is here, deep down inside, we know that it's true. We know that even though we pursue good things, we know deep down inside that that is not enough. That might be the reason why during this season in which we are suffering, I'm going through difficult times. This might be the reason why many of us, maybe if you're hearing this sermon today, Maybe this, maybe this is the reason why you are so fearful and hopeless. Maybe you don't know how to face this. Maybe you don't know what to do in the midst of everything that we're going through. Maybe, and just maybe, the reason why we're going through all of this and we're struggling inside is because the very things that we thought were secure or reliable or fulfilling or satisfying are no longer there. But today is a great day to remember that Jesus offers a different kind of life. Today is a great day for us to remember that it is possible to live an abundant life even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of struggle. Today is a great day to remember that Jesus came not just to free us from problems, but to give us life in the midst of problem. Not only to save us from struggling, but to save us through struggling. With that then in mind, I go to my second point. What does it mean to have 
alive in Jesus. See, in order to change, not only you need to understand what it means to have a life without Jesus, but we also need to understand what it means to have a life in Jesus. Now, a few moments ago, I told you that the, the, the issue we have is a heart issue. So what I think that Paul, what Paul is doing here is he's going to appeal to your heart. So in front of me this morning, I have two audiences. I have believers and I have uh, non-believers. So at least believers, not believers yet. And, and for the believer, God is uh, Paul, or God through Paul is going to remind you that what is going to sustain you and what is going to give you an abundant life is that you remember in your heart who you already are in Jesus and what you already have in Jesus. That's for a believer. For the non-believer, or for the unbeliever, I think that what Paul is going to do is to invite you to consider what Jesus can give you and what Jesus will give you if you surrender your life to him. So Paul is going to use kind of a metaphor here, um, starting in verse 22, and then he's going to use something different in verse 24. In verse 22, he calls believers to put off our old self. And in verse 24, he tells us to put on our new self. And if you see, he's using these two things of putting off and putting on. And once again, this is talking about Christians. He's calling believers to put off something and to put on something. So the question for us this morning is, what does that mean? And I think that Paul here says that, that, that those phrases, putting off and putting on, mean three things. Number one, to put off and to put on means that the believer is called to apply, to apply what we already are and what we already have. See, Paul couldn't be talking about something new that Christians have to do. If you remember when we read the text at the beginning, it says that Paul is talking to Gentiles. And he's calling Gentiles to put off and put on. But these are Gentiles that are Christian. Gentiles that are already Christian. Therefore, we assume and we can safely assume that what Paul is calling us to do as Christians is not to do something new, but to put off and put on what we, what, what, something that already happened when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. See, if you have placed your faith in Jesus long ago, to put it that way, you already put off your old self and you already put on your new self. What Paul is calling us to do is to apply what we already have. He's saying long ago, if you're a Christian, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you all self died and your new self is alive. This is what Paul is calling us to remember in our hearts. That when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we became a new creation, a new humanity, a new human being. And the text says, created in the likeness of God. I think that this is really important in order for us to live the life that we're supposed to live. Actually, the whole argument of Paul here is that we were created to live different. We were saved to live a life of holiness. Now, listen, I, I know that the word holiness, um, it's almost like a, like a bad word in our culture. 
It's not a very popular word. It's actually, for so many people, even within the church, it sounds uh, negative and restrictive and unnecessary and even legalistic. But I want to argue that holiness is not a bad word. Actually, I want to argue that the best life that you can live as a Christian, if you're a believer, is when you live a life of holiness, even in the midst of pain and even in the midst of a struggle. And I, I, I want to give you three biblical arguments why I think that holiness is a good thing. Number one, holiness in the Bible, I understand, is the synonym of happiness. Now, where do I get that from? Well, two people in the Bible, you could say. One is Jesus, which we know that Jesus was a man without sin and lived a life without sin. And yet, uh, so he's a man of holiness. And yet, there's no one in the scripture that is more happy, more full of joy, more full of peace, even when he was suffering, even before he went to the cross, even as he's, as he's struggling and completely alone, he was experiencing joy. So I want to invite you to consider that holiness is not a bad word. It's actually the synonym of happiness. And my second argument is God, the Father himself. The Bible describes God as a God that is holy. And yet... The Bible describes God as a holy God that is beautiful, attractive, and happy. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God creates everything and he rejoices in everything that he has created. My second argument for holiness here is that holiness actually makes you more human. See, I believe that living a life of holiness is the best thing to have an, uh, an abundant life because it makes you more human. I think that the Bible argues that the effect of sin is what dehumanizes you. Because you are controlled or being controlled by your appetites and your emotions. See, sin makes you irrational, egocentric, and selfish. It makes you less of a human. On the other hand, holiness humanizes you because it helps you live according to your design. It helps you live according to what God has for you. And what God has for you is always good. Holiness not only is the best thing for you, but it's also the best thing for others. That's why it couldn't be a bad word. There's nothing more beautiful than a community that know how to love one another in holiness. Paul here is calling us to put off and put on what we already are and what we already have. Now, the second thing that I think Paul means when he says put off and put on, it means that believers are called to recognize that the struggle is real. So what Paul is arguing here is that the reason why we, that, that we need to hear this over and over again is because it's still inside of us. There's a part of our old nature and there's a part of our new nature, that the, that the fight within is real, as Romans chapter 7 says. That is still, as Christians, there's a part of us that is flesh, and there's a part of us that is still spirit. And what Paul is going to argue, that the only way we can live a life of holiness and apply what we already have and apply what we already are, is when we learn how to put, the all, put off the old things, or the old flesh, and to put on the new nature. Oftentimes, I, I have argued that by nature, we know how to do this. So, for example, if you want to grow in, in uh, you want to be uh, healthy, you know that you cannot eat certain things, and you know that you must learn how to eat certain things. 
if you want to be a better spouse or a better uh, parent or a better anything, you know that there are some things that you must put off, even if you like them, because you want to love other people. But at the same time, you must learn how to put on other things for the love of the people you love or for the sake of the people you love. Once again, this is important not just for us as individuals, but it's also important for us as a community. Let me make another application here. I, I think that for me, this is extremely important because if I know that even within me, I still have that fight, I expect that I'm going to struggle with some things. I expect that there are things that it's just going to take a longer time for me to get rid of even as, as I continue to fight the fight. And therefore, I have learned by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit to extend grace to myself. I know that I still don't have it all together. When it comes to community, it's exactly the same thing. We expect that community is full of people that are still struggling with something. It is irrational and illogical to think that people come to us as a finished product. Therefore, I must learn, you must learn how to extend grace to those that are struggling just as you. One of the beauties of Christianity is that we don't have to pretend to have it all together. We're still broken people in need of grace. We're still broken people in the process of growing into holiness. Paul here calls us to put off and put on things that are destroying us uh, personally and destroys community because the struggle is real. Number three, I think that Paul here, when he says he's calling us to put off and put on, he's saying that believers are called to be intentional. And this is part of the sermon when I'm going to be extremely practical because Paul gets here extremely practical. And he's going to give us a few things that we must learn how to put off and put on. He's teaching us here to put into practice the art or the discipline of putting off and putting on. And he starts with, in verse 25, with truthfulness. He calls us to put off falsehood and to put on truthfulness or to be truthful. Now, I want you to keep in mind that when Paul is writing this, he's writing to a community. Therefore, this is what Paul is saying. Fellowship can only be built on trust, and trust can only be built on truth. So the question for you today is this. Are you being truthful? Are you learning how to put off and put on? And then he moves into anger in verse 26. He calls us to put off anger, or the anger that makes us sin. And the implication then is that he calls us to put on peace and unity and love and forgiveness and patience. Now, when Paul here is talking about anger, he's not talking about righteous anger, what some of us would call. You know, I think that if the Bible gives us permission to exercise righteous anger. So, as I've been thinking of all of this that we're going through, I, 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 I can tell you that I'm, I feel anger during this season in my life. I, I feel uh, anger because I, I can see the effects of sin. I, I feel anger when I see people dying and being sick because of what we're going through. I feel anger because of uh, pain and selfish behavior and indifference. I feel anger to a certain degree because we don't get to worship together and hug one another and, 
and pray for one another personally. I think that we have permission to get angry for the things that God get angry about. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a different anger. It's the anger that you feel when you're being selfish. It's the anger that you feel because things don't go your way. It's the anger you feel when you cannot control people or control circumstances. It is the anger that wants to punish others. And Paul says, put that off. Put on peace and patience, unity, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. See, sinful anger destroys community. The fruit of the Spirit unites community. And then from anger, he moves to generosity. He calls us to put off stealing, and he calls us to work. But also, he calls us to share with those that are in need. Now, the principle here is not just so that we should stop stealing and working more. But the principle here is that if you have enough, share with those that are in need. This is part of the reason why a few minutes ago you heard uh, Pastor Sergio calling you to continue to support the church financially. You are called to be generous. But at the same time, we are calling you as a church to use what you have for the benefit of other people. This is the reason why we are the church. Not only so we love and serve one another, but we love and serve our neighbors. From generosity then, Paul jumps into words. And I think this one is going to get a little bit sensitive for some of us. He calls us to put off unwholesome talk, but to put on words that build others and are for the benefit of other people. This is what Paul is calling us to do. To exercise self-control when we're going to say something that is not going to edify a person, but is going to devastate a person. He's calling us to exercise self-control when we're going to use our words that are going to destroy somebody else instead of build somebody else. Have you ever wondered why is it that God chose words to communicate to us? I think that this is the reason, and I want you to hear me out. Words have the ability and capacity to go deep into your hearts. Words matter. This is the reason why you and me, you and I, still remember things that people said to us long ago. Truth matters. What you do with your anger matters. What you do with your money matters, what you do with your words matter, everything matters when it comes to Christianity. This is the reason why Paul summarizes everything in verse 30 when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Live according to who you are. Live according to what you have. Live a life of holiness. And in that life, you find satisfaction and in that life, you see that life is not empty. And in that life, you see that life could be fruitful. And in that life, you see that you can experience joy. So here's the question. Can anybody live like that? And the answer for me is yes. I think so. Not perfect, but we can live like that. This is how we change. Not just knowing what it, what it means to have a life without Jesus. And not just seeing what a life with Jesus does, but also remembering 
at applying the reality that the only way this life is possible is because of Jesus. This will be point number three. Now, what I want to show you here really quick is this. The, the life that we live here in the present is the result of something that happened in the past and is looking into the future. I think that this is what Paul has in mind in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the word sealed there in the text is talking about uh, something that, um, that happened when Jesus went to the cross and then later on happened when you accepted him as a Lord and Savior. See, it is because Jesus went to the cross and took the punishment we deserve. It is because Jesus went to the cross and received the condemnation that we deserved. It is because Jesus went to the cross and took, the, the, took upon himself the guilt that we have and the, and the shame that we have experienced. It is because he did that in the past. And, when it, and then it became a reality to us when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior that we were sealed by the Spirit. And the moment we were sealed by the Spirit, a new creation began. A new humanity began. A new person began. Therefore, the way you live in your present is, is tied up to what happened in the past. Now what Paul argues here is that as good as that is, you need more. You need your life in the present uh, be, being impacted for what is yet to come. And that's why Paul uses the word redemption. See, the word redemption is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ in which we're going to experience and see no more sickness, no more sin, no more struggle, no more pain. It will be a life of full satisfaction, a life to the full, a life of peace, a life of community, a life in which we will never, ever, ever will have to worship separate as people and separate as Christians, a life in which we will learn how to love one another unconditionally, I don't know if you can picture that. I don't know if your imagination allows you to get there. But I want to invite you to try. Because that life, what is yet to come, really affects the way you live here now. Do you know why? Because if that is what is yet to come, this I know, that what we live here today would never ever be secure enough, fulfilling enough, Loving enough, nothing enough. The best is yet to come. How do people change? When you see what a life without Jesus looks like, when you see what a life in Jesus looks like, and when you see what Jesus did for you in your past and what is yet to come. Do you have that? Let me pray for us. Lord, we want to thank you that a life that we have in Jesus is a beautiful life. We want to thank you, Lord, because we have in him what we always wanted. Lord, I, I don't know how many of us that are hearing this sermon are already believers and how many of, of us are not. But I pray, Lord, that you do the same thing to both groups. For those of us that are believers, Lord, that we remember the beauty of what it means to be a Christian and the life that we have in Jesus and the happiness and the joy and the benefit of what it means to live in holiness. And for those of us that have not surrendered our life to Jesus, Lord, please make it happen.
that they get to see and taste that the life that we have in you is much better than anything else. Please open up our eyes and speak into our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you join us in this prayer of restoration? We sing this together.
That's a great way for us to finish our service. We pray that the Lord takes you to the cross and he takes me to the cross. Because it is there where we know that we are secure. Before we finish our service, I want to remind you that if you need prayer, you can get a hold of us. As a church, we're still praying for you. We pray that the Lord continues to bless you and protect you and also use you. And I also want to invite you to come back next week. And maybe this is a great opportunity for you, maybe to, to invite others to, to come and worship with us. I know that we cannot come as a church, and we are, uh, we are limited by the amount of people we get together. But you could always call somebody and say, hey, listen, during this season in your life, you, you need this. Come and worship with us. Come and listen to God's word with us. Now, um, I want to extend to you the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us on the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. With that, thanks for being with us. We love you. We miss you. Bye. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I wanted to share a few quick updates of what's happening even when we're not gathering in person. More of our communications are moving online at this time. And with that, we'll be sharing on social media throughout the week, giving you ideas on how you can serve your neighbors and have times where we can gather online for prayer, ask us any things with our pastor, special times of worship, and regular updates from Pastor Rob and Pastor Hannibal. On Wednesday night, we're still having night of prayer and worship. We're just moving it online. You can watch live just like today's stream. Turn up the volume, and even if you've ever been afraid that your seatmate might hear you sing, this is going to be your night. We can't wait to worship and pray with you. In addition, we want to know how we can be praying and caring for you. You can call or text, and our pastoral team will be responding throughout the week. You are loved. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a socially distanced week.